I don't know how you came here this morning. I came here, I don't know, with a mix of emotions. Um, our family had a wonderful vacation this last week. Um, we went up to Muskegon with my brother and his son, and we just had a great time. And um, But then coming back from that and hearing about the tragedy of Morgan's death is really hard and heavy. I know it sits heavy with many of you, especially since she had three very young children. And then to come here and see all these beautiful young children dancing um, and singing and their artwork and creativity is wonderful. I lost a ring this morning. I, <laughs> you know, um, and we come in here with all kinds of different things going through our heads and our minds and our hearts, don't we? Yeah. And sometimes we're ready to meet with God and sometimes we are just barely getting here. And um, so I, I don't know how you arrived, but I'm glad you're here. And I'm glad you're here with me and together. And I'm glad most of all that God is here to meet with us. Because he's always ready even when we're not. This summer we're studying the book of James, which is a letter that's recorded in the Bible. It was written by the half-brother of Jesus, the leader of the first Christian church in Jerusalem. And he's writing to Jewish Christians to tell them how to live in a world that has lots of trouble and temptations and hardships. And it is so relevant to our lives today. We are um, reading from James chapter 2. This week. So if you'll go ahead and open your Bibles to James chapter 2, if you grab one of the Bibles in the baskets, James will be marked with a yellow post-it note. It'll go to James chapter 1, and so you probably just have to flip the page and you can get to James chapter 2. And if we start in verse 14, this is what James writes. James chapter 2, verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. And if one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and well fed but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. I'm going to pause right there because he's using some words. Um, he's, the whole, throughout this whole passage, he's talking about faith, he's talking about deeds, and he's talking about salvation. So let's, let's define what those are. First of all, let's start with faith. What is faith? I think the most clear definition of faith in the Bible comes from Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. It gives us a very straightforward definition. It says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. Faith is not just wishful thinking. It's just not like, oh, I hope this happens. No, faith is certainty. Certainty in something that you hope happens and that hasn't happened yet and you haven't seen yet. For example, think about the very first time you came here. 
for Sunday morning service. For some of you, that's today. For some of you, it might have been quite a long time ago. But think about the first time you came here and you walked into this room and you had to pick a seat to sit in. All right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to grab this one right here. Okay? So you come and you, did you inspect the chair before you sat in it? You probably looked to make sure it wasn't like dirty and nothing was on it, right? Did you flip it over and like inspect the construction of it? See when it was made? The kind of bolts that are holding it together? See, there's some writing on here. Does it have a weight limit? (laughs) Did you do that when you came in? I mean, did you you like go like this, like make sure it would hold you? You sat in it? So you just had blind faith the chair would hold you. You were not worried at all that it would just drop you in front of everybody. And you'd look like a fool with a hurt rear end. You didn't have blind faith. You had logical faith, didn't you? Even though you had never sat in the chair, you had never even seen anyone sit in the chair. You have logical faith based on reasoning, right? It looks like a chair. You've sat in chairs like this before. Churches generally aren't known for having chairs that break on people. You know, you might have seen someone else sitting across the room in a chair that looks like this. It's it's a logical faith, even though you've never seen it. Hold you, you've never experienced it, you have a logical faith that it will hold you. Faith is not illogical, it is based on reasoning. And when we have faith in something, we put our trust in it and we let it hold us. That's what faith is. Hebrews goes on to describe what faith in God is. Hebrews 11 verse 6. It says, for without faith, it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to God must believe two things. Number one, that he exists. And number two, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Basically, that he's good. That he does care. That when we cry out to him, he does respond and he will help. That's faith in God. Now, there's a handful of atheists in the world who don't believe God exists. Not many, though. Most people are convinced that there is a God. And and it's a logical faith because we see all throughout creation the intelligent design of our world. I mean, there is just so much evidence that our world is not a haphazard random chance. That there was a creator. So many of us, we don't struggle with the faith that God exists, but we struggle with the faith that God is good. Because this world is a mixed bag. Right? We see the beauty, we see the goodness, but we also know the hardship and the trouble. And we wonder how God could just let it happen. 
The Bible teaches us that God, when he created this world, he created perfectly good. And he gave it to us as a gift to rule over, and we just broke it. And we broke it. And the, the, it's a long story, but the clear, simple reason the Bible gives of why God allows the brokenness is because the only way for him to get rid of the brokenness is to get rid of all of us. Because it's our selfishness, our humanity's greed, the way we hurt one another, the way we abuse the earth. It's all of those things that cause all the brokenness that we experience. And so God is patient because he loves us. He doesn't want to destroy us. He doesn't want to be a dictator who dominates us. He wants us to freely choose a better way to live, his way which is the way of love. His commands to us are simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. It's simple. And and yet, we can't keep those commands. No one knew that better than the Jewish people, the people of Israel. They tried so hard. They still do. To love the Lord, their God, and to love their neighbor as themselves. And they had laws and commands, hundreds of them, that defined exactly what it meant to love God and exactly how you were to love your neighbor. And no matter how hard they tried, they couldn't keep them. And the Bible hones in on their story of how every time they failed, it would lead to destruction and death. Not because their story is unique, but because their story is all of our stories. We are all bent towards selfishness. In our inability to love one another as God loves us, it results in the deterioration of our lives, of our society, and our death. The Bible says this, Romans 6.23, the wages... I think the the price, the payment, the penalty, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. God did not abandon us. God the Son, Jesus Christ, came to earth as a human child and he lived a sinless life, a completely unselfish life. To show us the way to live. And then he took that payment, those wages, the payment for our sin upon himself. And he died for us on a cross. And he didn't just die. He didn't just take the penalty for us. But he conquered it. And that's the good news. He conquered death. And he offers his ability to conquer sin and death to anyone who has faith in him. The Bible says whoever has faith in Jesus Christ, that number one, he is the son of God who died and rose again for us. Whoever has that kind of faith will be saved. And it's a two-part salvation. It's a two-part salvation. The first part is salvation from sin, from our bent towards selfishness. To do those things, I love how Paul writes in the book of Romans. He says, the good I want to do, I do not do. 
But the bad things I do not want to do, that's what I keep on doing. Have you ever felt that way? Yeah, me too. And, and sometimes I even think of, you know, like family and the people we love the most are sometimes the people that, you know, get the short end of the stick. <laughs> but if we trust in Jesus, God's spirit will come live in us and he will change our bent. He will change our leaning towards selfishness and those destructive things that we do and instead begin producing God's character in us. God's character of love and joy and peace and faithfulness, kindness, self-control. I don't know if you've ever heard a preacher say that if you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he will make your life wonderful. You'll always be able to pay every bill. And you'll have new cars and you won't get sick and all those kind of things. Guys, that's just not true. The Bible never promises that. What God promises is that His Spirit will give us God's joy and peace in the midst of the trial. That's the first salvation. And the second salvation is that when we die... God's Spirit will raise us to new life where we will live eternally with God, with anyone else who's believed in Him and had faith in Him, in a world where there is no more suffering, where there is no more pain and death. That is the second salvation, and that's the hope that we're certain of. Even though we haven't seen it, We have assurance of it because God gives us faith. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says this. For it is by grace. Grace just means a free gift that you don't earn. So it is by God's free gift, by his grace, you have been saved through faith. And this faith is not from yourselves either. It also is a gift of God. Not by works, not by doing good deeds. You can't earn it so that no one can boast. We are saved by God's free gift, but even the faith that we have to receive that salvation is also a gift from God. If you don't have faith in Jesus Christ yet, if it sounds like something that might just be too good to be true, If you struggle to believe that God is your Heavenly Father who actually loves you and cares for you and wants to work for good in your life, if that's hard for you to believe, ask Him for faith. It is a free gift He'll give you. You just pray for Him and and ask Him for it. And sometimes he gives us faith right away. Sometimes it takes days. Some people I've known, they had to pray every day for a couple weeks. But there will come a moment when your heart will be strangely warmed. And you will know that you know that you know that you have a Heavenly Father who loves you. And who has not abandoned you. 
And you will feel his presence in your life in a way that you cannot deny. You will have faith that no matter what happens in this world, that he has got you. And that he will raise you to eternal life. If you don't have that assurance, that faith, ask God for it. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And that is not of yourselves. It is a free gift of God. Not the result of good works. So that no one can boast. We can't earn our way into heaven. We can't. It's a free gift. And this is incredibly good news. Right? It it was especially incredibly good news to the Jewish Christians that James was writing this letter to. Because they had tried. (laughs) Their whole lives. They had tried to be good enough for God. And it was incredible relief. (sighs) I am not saved by trying harder to be good. That's a relief. Jesus has done it for me. I'm forgiven. So then I can just do whatever I want. Right? Well, your sins are forgiven. All right, let's go back to James. Because that's exactly the situation he was dealing with. James chapter 2 verse 14. He says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? He means like good things, good works. Can such a faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, be well, be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. Your faith is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? James is saying, look, if you truly have faith that Jesus has paid the penalty so you can be free from sin, you will live in a way that you actually want to be free from sin. And and you will have gratitude for what God has done for you and you will want to respond in kind. The motivation is what's important here. As Christians, we do not do good things. We do not give to the poor or help our neighbors or do any of that. We don't do good things to earn bonus points with God. We don't do good things because we believe in karma. That what goes around comes around. And well, if I'm good, then God will bless me. Guys, that's selfishness. If that's why we're nice to people, that's a selfish motive. 
If if we're kind to others because it makes us feel good about ourselves, you know, like we give, and it's like, oh, see, I'm not a selfish person. Look how much I'm giving. That's pride. God calls those kind of good works filthy rags. They have the outward appearance of being good, but they're just motivated by selfishness and pride. And they're worthless. No, our motivation for doing good things is just simple gratitude. And adoration for the God who has been so generous and good to us. As humans, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but we are hardwired to want to be like whoever we admire. Have you noticed that? I mean, look at your kids <laughs> and what they do. And we do the same thing as adults. The people we admire, we try hard to be like. And that is our motivation for doing good things. The more we grow in our relationship, it's a personal relationship with God, the more we see how good and generous and kind He is, the more we just want to be like Him. Oswald Chambers, he wrote a a daily devotional called My Utmost for His Highest. On August 4th, the devotional says this, The most important aspect of Christianity is not the work we do, but the relationship we maintain with God and the surrounding influence and qualities produced by our relationship with God. That is all God asks us to give our attention to. And it is the one thing most continually under attack. That we do not give our attention to our relationship with God and being like Him. Our good works should be an overflow of that relationship. And James goes on to give an example of that in the man Abraham. I'll, I'll read what he writes in just a second, but let me give you a backstory on Abraham. Abraham, he was a very old man when God made him a promise. We can read about it in Genesis, uh, is it 11? 15, Genesis 15, verse 3. Abram, God later changed his name to Abraham, but it's the same guy. Abram, he was praying, and he said this to God. You have given me no children, and so a servant in my household will become my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, this man, this servant, will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood, will be your heir. And then God took Abram outside and said, Look up at the sky and count the stars, indeed, if you can count them. And God said to him, So shall your offspring be. And Abram believed the Lord, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham, he came to God with his... Complaint with his request. And God made a promise and Abraham believed it. Just like Hebrews said, that we must believe God exists and that he earnestly rewards those who seek him. Abraham did that and he was counted as righteous or having right standing, a good relationship with God. Because he believed God's promise. Now, years later... Abraham's like in his 90s. He finally has a son, Isaac. 
And God does something that is completely unthinkable to us. He asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. We can read about it in Genesis chapter 22. It sounds unthinkable. It was unthinkable. But in Abraham's day, almost all of the ancient gods required child sacrifice. So it was actually a normal thing in Abraham's day, if you can imagine how horrible that world was. And so Abraham, he binds his son Isaac, he lays him on an altar, and he raises a knife to sacrifice his own son. And just as he does that, God calls out, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. And Abraham, he looks up in relief. You can just imagine, he's like... And he sees that a ram has been caught in a thorn bush. And God has provided that sheep for the sacrifice. And from then on, Abraham, Isaac, and all their descendants, unlike all the other people, they worship God by offering, not children, by offering sheep. To remind themselves how God provided the sacrifice for the sin. And and this is the story, it begs two questions. Okay, the first is why on earth was Abraham even willing to offer Isaac as a sacrifice? And the second question is why on earth would God even ask for that? Well, Hebrews gives us the answer to the first question. Hebrews 11, 17. It says, by faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, Abraham, who had embraced the promise of God, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had told Abraham, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. It's through Isaac that all these generations are going to be made. Abraham reasoned that God could what? could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. Abraham believed God's promise so much that he assumed that if I sacrifice Isaac, God's just going to raise Isaac back from the dead. Because he told me he would give me grandchildren through Isaac. That's the kind of faith he had. Why did God ask Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son? Well, it's not because he wanted Isaac to die. He stopped Isaac from dying. God asked Abraham to sacrifice his one and only son to foreshadow what God does for us. You see, it was in that exact same spot where God told Abraham to go and build the altar and sacrifice Isaac, and then he stops Isaac. It was that exact same spot that hundreds of years later, Jesus Christ would be crucified on a cross. That God would provide his one and only son as a sacrifice for our sin. God is not like all the other gods of this world. All the other things that vie for your attention and your focus and your energy. 
He does not require you to sacrifice for him. He sacrifices for us. And once we truly grasp that and we understand that, then we will want to do the same. We will want to respond in kind. James 2 verse 20, picking up where we left off. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham? This is just, you have to understand. When he says our father Abraham, who is James writing to? He's writing to Jews. He's writing to the descendants of Isaac. Who almost got wiped out. But God stopped them. He stopped Isaac's death, and now all of these generations of people believe in Jesus Christ because of it. Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that Abraham's faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that said Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous. Not by what they do alone. I'm sorry. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by their faith alone. It's not just that we mentally think something. James is saying we have to have the actions to actually back it up. If you have faith that the chair will hold you, you have to actually sit in it. And if you have faith that Jesus Christ can truly set you free from destructive cycles of sin, you have to walk in that faith and trust Him. And when you are faced with death, Like the Densmore family was unexpectedly faced with death this week. You grieve and you mourn, but not without hope. Because you have faith that God will reunite you with your loved one. That this life is not the end. It is our faith with actions that matters. I want to end um, with some prayers. I want to end with prayers for faith and with prayers for the action to match our faith. Jen Wilkin, she um, says it so wisely. She says, it costs nothing to become a Christian. Nothing. It's a free gift of God. You cannot earn it. You just receive it. It costs you nothing to become a Christian. But it costs us everything to live like one. Because we follow a God who sacrifices for us. He didn't save us so we could become more selfish. He saved us so we could become like him. And so I want to pray. If you do not have faith yet, I'm going to pray for you. And you can pray for yourself to have faith. 
Maybe there's a loved one who's not here who needs faith. We'll pray for them as well. And we also pray for all of us that we will have the actions to back up our faith and the good deeds that we will be inspired by the God we worship and adore to live like Him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, it is so easy to have faith in what we see and not in what we do not see. And it is also so easy to see the negative and the bad things in our world and not to see all the good. And so God, I pray you help us see the good. I pray you help us see the beauty. And I pray you help us see you at work. God, I pray for all those who are struggling with faith who are here today. I pray for our loved ones who struggle to have faith. We lift them up to you. God, we pray that you will reveal yourself to those who are struggling to have faith. You will make yourself known to them that they cannot deny that you exist, that they cannot deny that you are good. And God, we pray for faith to believe that Jesus Christ is who he claimed to be, the Son of God who came and died and conquered death for us. Give us faith. Give our loved ones faith. If you are here today and you have never trusted in Jesus, but you are feeling your heart strangely warmed, and that God is calling you, I'm going to say a prayer that you can just whisper along with me to receive his gift of salvation. Lord God, we know and we acknowledge that we are not good. We are sinful. We are selfish. But you are good. We believe that your son is Jesus Christ who died for us and by your power rose again. And we thank you for this gift of salvation. And we receive it in faith. And we ask that your Holy Spirit come inside of us so that we will never be alone. So that we will have you guiding us and comforting us and also produce your character in us, God. So that no matter what we face in this world, we will be people of courage and peace and joy and love and faithfulness and peace and kindness, goodness and self-control. Produce your character in us, God. We give ourselves to you. And God, we pray that you 
would produce good works in us. We know we can't produce them ourselves. We know we can't just simply try harder to be good. But we pray by the power of your spirit that you would help us live as you do. That we would not only love you, but we would love our neighbor as ourselves. And we wouldn't just wish people well, but when we see people in need, we would be willing to give, to sacrifice, to help them, Lord. Show us how to do that. Give us hearts and courage to do that, Lord. May our faith be made alive by the deeds your Holy Spirit does through us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The worship team is going to come and we're going to worship the Lord through song. I'm going to be standing back by the cross. I do almost every Sunday after the message. If you have any questions about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ or receiving God's salvation, or maybe you made that decision to receive God's salvation for the first time, I will be back there to talk with you um, and to pray with you.